Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, ice fishing season in Northern Pike, Star Tribune music critic John Bream on holiday music and a commentary on Christmas nostalgia. But first... The 2018 holiday shopping season could go down in the history books as a record breaker. Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. Retailers have been busy. Heading into Black Friday, it was estimated shoppers were planning to spend around $1,000 this holiday season. So is this proving true? I asked University of St. Thomas Professor Emeritus of Marketing, David Brennan. Retail sales in November were nothing short of outstanding. Uh, overall retail sales increased by 3.4%, being led by uh, electronics, which was up at an incredible 38.5%. And that should be good news for uh, Best Buy and some of the other electronic stores. Surprisingly, department stores were up almost 32% uh, after pretty much a lackluster uh, year. And not that was trailed by non-store, which is... Uh, e-commerce, and that was 21.9%. Sporting goods, hobby, and books were at 20.9%. And clothing uh, at 18.4%. So really the traditional uh, categories for retail giving uh, were very strong. Wow, things are looking good, and I'm guessing that some of these figures don't even include final December totals. So David, is it fair to say consumers are in the spirit and spending money? Oh, they are absolutely spending not just a little more, but quite a bit more. Uh, But I think a lot of that is that the uh, holiday season was, so to speak, front-end loaded in November with so many different kinds of sales and promotions. And November may be actually bigger than December as a result of that. And so if we take a look in a broader context, uh, there were some that were down gas sales, as an example, which is also an offset in terms of people who had more money in their pocket to spend on other things rather than gasoline. Motor vehicles, which are highly promoted, particularly in the month of December, were off by 4.4%, and that's a huge category. It accounts for 21% of all retail sales. And then the small stores, the miscellaneous uh, small stores, they were down as well, about 3%. You brought up an interesting point about perhaps November sales being stronger than December. You would think this would be the other way around. Based on November sales, it looks like we're getting a flip-flop where November sales are stealing away from December, and so that is really becoming a black November rather than just a black uh, Friday. So from what you've been hearing and seeing, have there been any shopping trends that have really jumped out at you or caught your attention? No, but I was really quite surprised that not only that the sales were up as much, uh, but they were not just up a lot, uh, but those categories that are that we usually see during the holidays are up uh, double digits. Well, this is good news for retailers all across Minnesota, but Dave, I have to ask, I'm not trying to be a pessimist, but is there any uncertainty looming? Anybody invested in stocks is, uh, has to have a stomach ache right now or a headache uh, because of the whipsawedness in terms of stocks going up five, um, the Dow Jones Industrial Average going up 500, then going down 500 two consecutive days. So it's almost like one step ahead and two back. 
And so there's a lot of uncertainty, and some of that will be uh, taken care of this week with the uh, Fed making a decision in terms of interest rates. And after the taping of this broadcast, the U.S. Federal Reserve did raise interest rates a quarter point, the fourth and last hike of 2018. Thanks again to my guest, University of St. Thomas Professor Emeritus of Marketing, David Brennan. So, Scott, before I throw it back to you, I decided to walk around the office and, uh, I guess, talk to some of my coworkers about what they're spending this holiday season. Take a listen. Seems like uh, everyone's very much in the holiday spirit this year, and I'd say the spending is definitely up in our family as well. What are what are the, some of the hot items that you're like spending your money on? Well, it seems this year uh, clothes is the main thing that we're looking at, and we actually even took a, a family trip this year. We're leaving in the morning for Florida, so we're even getting out of town. My shopping has been all online because I haven't had time to go shopping, to be honest. And also, I'm not a big fan of the malls because I used to work in retail. And so I have to ask you, do you think you're spending more money than you have in past years? No. Because a lot of my family doesn't like a lot of presents, so I've just learned to not buy them a lot of presents. Because they don't like what you give them? No, it's just because they know. To, they just tell me every year, don't buy anything. So after all these years, I've decided to just stop spending so much money on them and just get one or two small, meaningful things instead. We're cutting back on the amount of presents and the number of presents we're giving the kids. We've got grandkids, so we're spending some on them but for the most part it's been minimal and it's really about the grandkids now for us so it remains to be seen whether 2018 will be a record-breaking holiday shopping year back to you scott thank you tasha minnesota matters returns after this unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by feedthepig.org Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up. Just like that. Giving up on what? I'm getting an inheritance from a distant relative. Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right, which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Winter anglers in Minnesota are looking ahead to the heart of the ice fishing season. For northern pike fishermen who may not have wet a line since last winter, MNN's J.W. Cox reports there are different regulations in place that the DNR wants to remind you about. While not technically new regulations, Northeast Region's fisheries manager Chris Cavanaugh says winter anglers may be dealing with current guidelines for the first time. The regulations actually went into effect officially on March 1 of 2018. So we've been through the open water season, and you're right, this is the first winter that the new regulations will be in effect. Before he dove too deep into the need-to-knows, Cavanaugh was quick to point out the answers to the test are readily available for everyone before you even fire up that auger. First off, I'd say pick up a copy of the the fishing regulations book that's available at the licensed vendors. 
you know, there we've got all the information spelled out, uh, exactly what folks need to know. As for the specifics, the new pike regulations are centered around three distinct zones. We have a southern zone, which is basically Minnesota Highway 7 from Ortonville to about the Twin Cities. South of that line, the northern pike regulations are a 24-inch minimum size limit and a possession limit of two. The bulk of the state is in what we call the north-central zone, which would be north of that Highway 7 line up to the Canadian border and bordered on the east by Highway 53 from Duluth to International Falls. Within that north-central zone, we have a 10-fish bag limit on northern pike with a 22 to 26-inch protected slot, meaning any pike that, that anglers or spears have between 22 and 26 inches must be immediately released. Um, there can only be two fish over 26 inches and up to eight fish, or well, actually you can finish out the limit of 10 with fish under 22 inches. Then the northeast zone from Highway 53 to International Falls and everything north and east of that, the bag limit on northern pike is two fish, and there's a 30 to 40-inch protected slot. Cavanaugh notes there is a limit to the scope of the regulations. These new zone regulations pertain only to inland waters. They do not pertain to border waters. So if you're fishing, say, on the Rainy River or Rainy Lake or water that borders Wisconsin or North Dakota, South Dakota, whatever the case might be, there there's different regulations in place on those border waters. Additionally, we have about 95 lakes around the state, or waters, I should say, that have uh, individual special regulations. Kavanaugh says the main focus of all these regulations centers on the largest of the state's three zones. Because there's many lakes in this north-central zone that have a high abundance of small northern pike. And we've heard from anglers and spears that they would like to see and have the opportunity to catch more larger fish. One tool we have is the individual waters management, you know, special regulations. There's a number of lakes around the state that have either a 24 to 36 inch protected slot limit, a 1 over 30 uh, or a 40 inch minimum size limit. Um, but those are on very a very small number of lakes and there are no provisions for spears in those lakes. And those are really designed to provide, I'd say, more uh, trophy fishing opportunities. And, and we know in many of these lakes there's a very high abundance of those small fish and so we're giving anglers and spears an opportunity to harvest more of them if they so choose. With the regulations less than a year old, Kavanaugh says they can't measure the results in terms of fish population, but so far the feedback from anglers is positive. That 22 to 26-inch protected slot really makes a lot of sense in that north-central zone because what we see from anglers is that at about 22 inches, that's when they're more likely to keep a fish than to release it. And then many lakes, it's rare to see many northern pike over 26 inches because in that 22 to 26 inch range, that's a desirable size to be kept. So, and there's not a lot of them in many lakes. So when anglers encounter them, they're harvesting them. It's a very narrow slot, so fish are going to grow through it and come out the other end, be larger and available for harvest in a matter of a couple of years in many places. So what we're seeing from people, particularly from folks that are traveling a long distance to come fishing, you know, here are the out-of-state tourists, for example, staying at resorts. You know, now they have the opportunity to go back home with 10 northern pike. Even though many of them might be small and under 22 inches, it does provide that greater harvest opportunity that many people have really appreciated. For anyone with lingering questions, contact their local area fisheries office. They're identified in the back of the fishing regulations book and as well as contact information. 
that's a really good source of information on the local waters in the area. More information can also be found online at dnr.state.mn.us, keyword pike. Scott, back to you. Thank you, JW. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. For many of us, popular holiday music is an essential part of the holiday season. I recently spoke to Star Tribune music critic John Bream about how that tradition began, what makes a good holiday song, and why we keep coming back to the same songs, good and bad, year after year. When did pop stars start singing Christmas songs, or when did it become popular? Oh, I think it probably turned around when uh, White Christmas became a big hit from a movie for Bing Crosby. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. And then after that, you know, these, these songs have just kind of blossomed and snowballed, so to speak. Um, and it seems like everyone records them. It seems like it's also spread across every genre as well. Yeah, I, I was listening the other day. I, I like to, in the car occasionally, listen to Soul Town, which is a serious XM station that plays old soul music. And it's like, how many versions of the Christmas song do I need to hear? Lionel Richie and Brian McKnight and Odd Infinitum. I mean, I'm happy with Mel Torme's version. That's enough. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose. You know, that's a that's an interesting question as well, because some of the songs that you've mentioned here as far as White Christmas and talking about Mel Torme, uh, those are some older versions of these songs. What is it that makes a, a holiday song stand the test of time, in your opinion? Well, two things. One, it's the melody, and two, it's the message. You know, in regular pop songs, the message isn't always important. It's kind of the catchiness and and how it makes you feel, but the way Christmas and holiday songs make you feel is really important. So it's got to have a melody that you remember and a message that connects with people. It's got, it, you know, there's there's got to be more emotion in Christmas songs than there is in you know your everyday ordinary pop songs. For every good holiday song, or for every holiday song that succeeds with that criteria you just mentioned, there's probably ten or twenty that don't succeed. Uh, what are some of the strangest that you can think of that you've come across in your years as a uh, music listener and critic? Oh, where there's "Please, Daddy, Don't Get Drunk This Christmas." John Denver recorded that. <laughs> Elmo and Patsy, an old country duo, did "Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer." How about a more recent Kenny Chesney? All I want for Christmas is a real good tan. <laughs> and of course, for the Minnesotans out there, there's Yingle Bells by Yogi Jorgensen. A Yingle Bells, a Yingle Bells, a Yingling all the way. I should have worn long underwear in that one horse open sleigh. Are people still writing new holiday songs, and are they doing it successfully? Well, absolutely. Lots of people are writing new stuff. The problem is they're not getting widespread exposure. I think the last big um, Christmas, new Christmas hit was All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. 
and that's been around for a couple decades now, almost. But everyone's still writing new ones. I mean, there's a lot of local people that are writing new ones, and they're quite good ones. When I went to the New Standards concert, they had Dan Wilson, who used to be with Semisonic and has won Grammys for writing hits for the Dixie Chicks and Adele. And he played two brand-new Christmas songs that he had written. And one of them, I think it was called The Best Gift. The best gift you can give me for Christmas this year. And it was just about the best gift I can get is forgiveness. He wanted his partner to forgive him for for being away so long. He wanted his kids to forgive him for being away so much because he travels and that sort of thing. And it was a sweet, sentimental song, and I'm thinking... Boy, if he could get, oh, say, Garth Brooks or maybe his pal Adele to record it, that could be a big hit. Well, another quote-unquote Minnesota musician, Bob Dylan, just within the last couple years put out a Christmas album, and I know that you're kind of a Dylan scholar. What were your thoughts on that album? I don't know that it was necessary for Bob Dylan to put out a Christmas album, but it was part of Dylan's sort of consistent um, pursuit of American music. But hearing a guy who's always had a dubious voice in many people's opinion, and now his voice is kind of croaky and raspy and sort of beyond musical redemption, uh, do a, an album of Christmas music was probably not a big turn-on for a lot of people, except for real hardcore Dylanologists. And another one, just on TV the other night, Brian Setzer, who lives in the Twin Cities, not originally from here, but he's lived here for a decade. And he's got a new Christmas musical song out that's a takeoff on the Flintstones. So it's a Yabba Dabba holiday song. Merry, Merry Christmas. We've mentioned uh, along the course of the interview a few of the songs that have appealed to you over the years, and as we wrap things up here, I'm just wondering, is there one in particular that uh, that melts your heart every year this time of year? Absolutely not. Um, I don't go for particular songs. I think it's more of who's singing the song. And, you know, we I've got hundreds and hundreds of Christmas albums, but um, the family has a basket here by the boombox. We're kind of old school, so we'll throw in five, six, whatever the, the, the player takes, five, six albums at a time and put it on random shuffle and just let them come up. So, you know, whether it's, it's Bing Crosby or Mel Torme, or Charles Brown, or Nat King Cole. It's more the singer than it is the song with me for Christmas songs. So I think if you mix it up rather than having one artist straight through, it becomes a more satisfying experience. And may all your Minnesota Matters returns after this. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, aunt, son. Learn fast. F-A-S-T. The sudden signs of a stroke and you could save. Your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach. F. Face drooping. A. Arm weakness. S. Speech difficulty. T. Time to call 911. F-A-S-T. Face arm speech time. That's F face drooping, A arm weakness, S speech difficulty, 
T, time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather. So learn FAST, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, mother. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Tis the season when a lot of us fall victim to nostalgia, and MN's Bill Werner is no exception. Here's an encore presentation of his reflections on old downtown Minneapolis with appropriate apologies to St. Paul, Duluth, Rochester, St. Cloud, and all the other fine Minnesota communities who also are celebrating another Merry Christmas downtown. Every year when this time rolls around, I start thinking about how downtown Minneapolis used to be when I was a kid. Downtown was a hodgepodge of small shops, medium-sized establishments, and huge department stores. The three biggest ones lined up one right after another along Nicollet Avenue. It wasn't a mall then. And there were, I suppose, hundreds of restaurants. For some reason, the one that has stuck in my mind is the Tick-Tock Diner, which had one facade on 7th Street and another on Hennepin Avenue, an L-shaped building where you could grab a hamburger and fries while you were taking a shortcut. There were drugstores, arcades, variety shops, surplus stores, outlets, all mixed in with doctor's offices, dentists, and the Great Northern Market on Hennepin Avenue's what later became known as Block E, where you could buy everything from honest-to-God rye bread to, I suppose at some point in the past, even a live chicken. There was a hardware store, too, where my dad and I bought nails and hammers, screws and screwdrivers, and electrical wiring boxes. The bars I was too young to enter. And I couldn't even conceive of the purpose of less reputable establishments on the upper floors of some of the worn-out old buildings. Hotels they were, the Nicolet, a pile of brick blocks on the fringe of the old gateway, what used to be Skid Row and was then being leveled, just about the time I was old enough to sort of understand what was going on. And then there were the monolithic Lemington and the sprawling Curtis Hotels at the other end of downtown. And right in the center, the Radisson and the Dykeman, an interesting name out of Minneapolis history. Those were the reputable places. Then there were the lodging houses, the likes of Hotel Andrews, the last resort after the old cage hotels came down, where rooms were let by the week or the month, and where the old men went out for a morning stroll not to a breakfast counter, but to the local tavern. All this was the everyday stuff. But at Christmas, a reasonably behaved child could enjoy a chaperoned meal a dozen floors up at the very top of Dayton's, the biggest of the big department stores, and then descend to the 8th floor auditorium for an entreaty to and a quick photo with Santa. And finally, the fabulous Christmas windows along the full block of Nicollet Avenue. The ones I remember best were fully animated scenes from Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker. Everything in motion, tin soldiers, wooden toys, girls and boys, on both sides of the glass. The reds, greens, blues and yellows that seemed to bleed into the snow on the sidewalk.
window after window, all the way down that magical block of Nicolet. Then peek around the corner, and there were even two or three more windows down 8th Street. One's imagination would run wild as buses and trucks and cars whizzed by and bundled shoppers carried away packages to squirrel under the Christmas tree. You get the idea. That mix of magic and street grit that was once downtown Minneapolis has much faded over the years, beginning in the early 1960s with what was termed urban renewal, the most ambitious project in the nation at the time, with one prominent leader advocating there was a lot of money to be made rebuilding this machine, which is our downtown. And so blank facades and concrete plazas replaced wrinkled old buildings and streets. And for what could be brutal Minnesota winters, an excellent idea emerged. Skyways, which slowly transformed downtown into an interconnected unit, one floor above the street level. The privileged went there. Everyone else stayed below. The malls came, and downtown became sort of, as some had envisioned, a specialized machine, something that was happening everywhere now. Eventually, even the Dayton's building closed its doors, as Eric Dayton, great-great-grandson of the founder of the department store chain that spawned Target, lamented the loss of the hustle and bustle of the streets of old downtown Minneapolis. But that grand structure at 7th and Nicollet did not sit empty for long. We really want to embrace Nicollet Mall and help reactivate that, as well as the Skyways, because those are two great amenities to this project. Tricia Pitchford is with the firm that's assisting a New York development company with what's dubbed the Dayton's Project. By opening up the floor plates on Skyway, uh, when you're walking through those Skyways, you'll be able to see down into the lower level uh, food hall, and uh, it'll just be really visually appealing and exciting to see all the activity and energy in the project. We'll have not just visual circulation, but also actual uh, ability to take staircases and elevators um, between the lower level up to the Skyway to try to convince Minnesotans that they need to be out on the street walking around on days where it's, it's barely zero degrees. Um, I think that rather than trying to change that mindset, let's uh, figure out how to work with the Skyways and help drive the traffic throughout the entire property. Well, we'll see if it works. If it does, tens of thousands of the new denizens of downtown Minneapolis, a couple hundred thousand office workers who come in every day, and tourists from the suburbs and every place else will finally have the same experience as their forebears who encountered on the streets of Minneapolis various versions of the homeless Jesus on a park bench, even as the eyes of Father Lewis Hennepin rove down the avenue while downtown keeps moving on. Bill Werner on the Minnesota News Network. Thank you, Bill. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening. Happy holidays, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.